Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. The rest of you can open your Bibles, please, to the book of Proverbs, chapter 26. Proverbs, chapter 26. Uh, I want to reiterate something uh, before we get into the passage that Larry prayed for. He mentioned praying for City Hope Fellowship. City Hope Fellowship is our first church plant um, here at New Life. And next Sunday, they're having their very first official formal worship service. So um, Larry presented that to the Lord in prayer, but I just want to make sure that's clear. This is something to be really happy about, something to really rejoice in and be thankful to God for his blessing. And that actually casts light on the giving situation here also, because not only is our giving up here at the church, but it's up when we have 30 less people here since we just sent out a church plant. So that's a real, uh, again, remarkable testimony to your generosity and to the goodness of God. So praise God for that. Well, some of you know this um, story. I, I've told it a few times, I think, here, but some of you don't. Just uh, something about my history. I graduated from Covenant Seminary back in the year 2002 and of course went to seminary expecting that I would be a pastor of a church. Well, when I got out of seminary, um, that didn't happen quite as quickly as I'd like. I was looking for a call from a church, submitting resumes in various places and, and, and didn't receive a, a call. Um, very disappointing. And so eventually, as we got into the year 2003, uh, had to look for other employment. And jobs were hard to find. I was in St. Louis and had to work just various jobs, whatever I could find. So for a little while, I worked for a mortgage company and did data entry um, for people's applications for refinancing. That was a temp job, so it ended. And then I worked for a guy in my church who had a historic home, and he was looking for someone just to come in and uh, as some of you know, I'm not very handy. There's very little I can do, but I can pull staples out of walls and I can sand banisters, and that's about all I did for uh, many days in this house, made a little money that way. But probably the most challenging job that I had there, not in terms of difficulty in actually performing the job, but just the situation, was working for the local grocery store there in St. Louis. It's called Schnucks. Uh, and, and by the way, I just have to say, some, some friends of ours from that very period of our lives just happened to be here today, the Gronics. And so, Gronics, we're so happy uh, that you're here today. So they know what I'm talking about when I say schnuck. Schnuck's kind of the equivalent of, of Marsh here. And um, the workers at Schnucks went on strike, and so that was the only way I could get a job, was to cross the picket line. So I walked right through the picket line into Schnucks grocery store and, and got a job there. And uh, I worked in, in the deli, and my supervisor was somebody in high school. Now, I don't mean any disrespect to the high schoolers here among us, but I was 40 years old at the time. I had a master's degree. I was expecting to be leading a church, and I was taking orders from someone who probably got his driver's license a year or two prior. Um, I remember having him, you know, instruct me on the various cheeses in the deli there and the various different kinds of meats and how to slice cheese. And I'm just thinking, I left a good job in Indianapolis to go to seminary so I can work at the deli at Schnucks. 
It was a hard time. It was hard to swallow. And something that I learned during that whole experience was this. Before God can use you, he has to humble you. If God is going to use you in any kind of significant way, he's going to have to humble you. Charles Spurgeon said this, the Christians really have two options, either to be humble or to be humbled. (laughs) If the first doesn't happen, the, the second will. That's what God does. He humbles his people, and that's what God did with me in the year 2003. Well, we're going through a sermon series on the book of Proverbs here, this Old Testament wisdom book. And uh, we've been looking at various topics that the Proverbs cover. We've looked at the topic of uh, words and how we use them and family relationships and sexuality and anger. And so today, we're looking at this question of pride and humility that is so frequently addressed in this book. Um, We're going to read two short passages here. As usual, we'll look at a number of different Proverbs on this subject, but we'll begin with Proverbs 15:33, and then we'll skip over to chapter 26, verse 12. So if you please stand for the reading of God's word, we'll begin with Proverbs 15:33. Proverbs 15:33: "The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor." The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Move over to 26, 12. Chapter 26, verse 12 says this. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Father, would you please, by your spirit, open our eyes and hearts to behold wonderful things in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There's something about this issue of pride and humility that I think we all kind of immediately respond to in an emotional way. You know, there's hardly anything that we dislike more than a a real cocky, arrogant person. Um, When somebody just seems to be full of himself or herself, there's nothing we love more than to see that person cut down uh, a couple of notches. Um, And at the same time, there's hardly anything that our heart goes out more to the person who humbly serves behind the scenes, the person who works hard and does so well and never gets the credit that he or she deserves. And there's nothing more that we would rather see than that person get elevated somehow. And that's exactly the themes that we see kind of battling with each other as the Proverbs address these two issues of pride and humility. So the first thing we're going to consider is this, the perils of pride. What's the problem with pride? And so if you'll stay right there in 26 verse 12, I think we get a pretty good definition of what pride is. But before we get into that, let me tell you what pride isn't. Very important to understand what something is by learning what it isn't. Pride is not, or at least the pride that the Bible speaks against, is is not, um, you know, having some kind of joy and gladness in something good in your life. So, for instance, imagine, you know, two grandparents sitting with their family at Christmas and they're looking at their 
sons and daughters and granddaughters and grandsons, and they think to themselves, I am so proud of my family. That's not the kind of pride that the Bible is speaking against. That's kind of a healthy pride. Or let's say you spend weeks or months, maybe years in woodworking, building a beautiful table and sanding it and shining it up and getting it ready, and you stand back and you say, I'm so proud of that work. I mean, that's, that's okay. Do you know that in Romans 15, 17, Paul says, I am proud of my work for Christ. So th- there is a healthy kind of pride. The kind of pride that the Bible speaks against is what is described here in 26, verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. This is the proud person, the person wise in his own eyes, the person who thinks he knows everything, the person who seems to have no need for any kind of outward assistance, the person whose ears and eyes are shut to any kind of input or counsel or advice, the person who at the end of his life says, along with Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, as if that is something to be proud of, as if that is the crowning achievement of a person's life, to get to the end and say, I did everything in accordance with what was wise in my eyes. That's pride, and that's the kind of pride that verse 26, 12 is talking about. So how does this look in just daily life? We're going to look at some Proverbs to help us see that, because remember, that's what Proverbs are. Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs is not the same as law. What Proverbs are doing is giving us kind of snapshots, pictures of the way things typically work in life so that we might increase our ability to live wisely and godly in in this world. And so that's what some of these Proverbs do. They just give us a picture of what pride looks like so we can recognize it and turn from it. So there's a lot to be said about pride, a lot more than I'm gonna say here today, but we're just sticking with a few Proverbs. And so, what does pride look like? First of all, it refuses to admit wrongdoing. It, It will not acknowledge the prideful heart that he or she is ever wrong about anything. So here it is, 2813. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. The person who conceals his transgressions, covers them up, acts like they're not there, won't ever talk about them. This is the person who will never say, I'm sorry. They'll never say, I was wrong. They'll never say, will you forgive me? You can't get them to acknowledge it. They're constantly concealing their transgressions because they're so full of pride they can't acknowledge that perhaps they did something wrong. So there's this way that pride shows itself in our relationships with one another, but this can extend also to a person's relationship with God. The prideful person won't confess sins to God either. The prideful person will not bring transgressions to God to obtain mercy. Now, that person might look very religious, and that person might be in church every Sunday, and that person might even be singing in the choir, but here's what's missing. That person is never at home on his knees before God begging for forgiveness. I mean, that's really the test of whether 
you have a vibrant relationship with God. You can be doing all the outward things that Pastor Brian was talking about here just a moment ago, but are you ever on your knees at home before God? On your knees? That's hard to do, isn't it? To get on your knees. How about laying flat on your face on the floor? Have you ever prayed that way? Maybe that just hasn't occurred to you. You never thought of it. And maybe it's because you don't want to. <laughs> because it's hard. It's humble. And there's something about it that threatens our pride. Here's what Robert Murray McShane says. What a man is, what a woman is, on their knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. The prideful person won't admit that he's wrong to one another or to God. What else does pride look like? It rejects counsel from others. It won't hear advice. It won't take suggestions about how they might do something different. So here's Proverbs 12, 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The, pride, pride, the prideful child, teenager, won't hear from their parents. They won't listen. They, they know better. The prideful student won't hear from their teachers or their professors. The person who needs help and so decides to go to counseling and then receives counsel from their counselor, but they won't receive it. They can't take it. They disagree with it. They reject it. It's their counselor. They're paying for wisdom to come from the counselor. The counselor gives it, but no, they know better. That's a sign of pride. The person who comes to church and listens to the preacher and through the whole sermon, all they're thinking is all the reasons why what that preacher is saying is silly and ridiculous. <laughs> That's pride. It's not that a preacher can't be wrong. It's not that a teacher can't be wrong. It's not that a counselor can't be wrong. Certainly that happens. Certainly you've got to think discerningly, but there are some people who won't hear it from anybody. They won't take counsel because they're full of pride. I have a monthly pastors meeting, area pastors uh, here in Muncie, Yorktown. We get together, we pray for each other, and we met this past Thursday, and one of the pastors was telling a story of how somebody came to him after one of their services and said, you know, I, I know you're the right person to be the pastor here, and I really value what you have to say, but I, I really wish I would hear the gospel more from your lips. And... I was wondering how this person was going to respond to that. And, you know, I thought that he was maybe going to complain about this person, that he was going to dismiss this person somehow. And what he said was, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that and trying to consider how that might be true in my own life. And so you could pray for me as I try to adjust and respond to what that person said. That's a humble person. That's a humble person. The prideful person rejects outright any kind of counsel or criticism. So another example of pride, and maybe the most serious thing, it renounces the word of God. The prideful heart renounces the word of God. Here it is in chapter 13, verse 13. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. I think what's being referred there uh, with the mention of the word, is, is the scriptures. You know, people, particularly in our culture today, despise 
what the word brings, don't they? I mean, people despise the fact that the Bible says that Jesus is the sole means by which a person can be reconciled to God. Our culture despises the fact that the Bible says there's a place called hell where people go. People particularly despise the fact that the Bible says that there is a particular way that marriage should take place between one man and one woman, not between two women or two men. People despise that. And so in response to that, what do they do? They, they reinvent the Bible. They find a reason why it doesn't say what it obviously says. They dismiss it. They discount it. They won't revere the commandment. And that's a sign of pride. You remember the um, call to worship that we had that Felix read to us a, a moment ago where God says this, this is the one that I look to. Another translation says, this is the one who I esteem, the one who is humble in heart and trembles at my word. That's a sign of humility, trembling before the word of God. So, um, three things. What does pride look like? Refuses to admit wrongdoing, rejects counsel from others, renounces God's word. So now I'm talking about the perils of pride here. So what's the peril? What, what does pride lead to? What's really the danger here? And there's another proverb that tells us in very clear terms where pride goes. It leads to destruction. Pride leads to destruction. Chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride leads to destruction. How does that happen, you say? Well, it, it can happen in a kind of a miraculous, maybe unique way. It, particularly, you'll see examples of this in the Bible, like Acts chapter 12, King Herod. Do you remember that story? King Herod sits up on his throne puts on his robe, all these people gather around him and they're talking about King Herod and they're saying, oh, yours is the voice not of men but of a God. Herod doesn't dispute that and God strikes him down and kills him and this added detail is given to us. He was eaten by worms, <laughs> Acts chapter 12. Why? Because he wouldn't give glory to God. He wanted glory for himself. He was full of pride Pride can lead to destruction immediately like that. But sometimes pride leads to destruction in other ways. Pride can lead to destruction in the way we, in our pride, can bring harm to other people. And I saw an example of this actually in the New York Times Magazine. There was an article, the headline of which read, The Trouble with Self-Esteem. The trouble with self-esteem. That's almost a blasphemous thing to say in our culture because we kind of assume that self-esteem is what we all need the most. What we really need is to think really highly of ourselves, to adore ourselves, to be wise in our own eyes, we might say. I mean, that's kind of an unquestioned value in our school systems and in our culture, self-esteem. But here's the New York Times saying, you know, maybe we should rethink that. And the article quoted various studies that were conducted by different institutions trying to find the reason why certain people um, move toward deviant behaviors. And so this guy from uh, the London School of Economics, his last name is Emler, says this, it's quoted in the article, we've put antisocial men through every self-esteem test we have and there's no evidence 
for the old psychodynamic concept that they secretly feel bad about themselves. These men are racist or violent because they don't feel bad enough about themselves. The whole article just talks about people just feeling invincible, people being unwilling to listen because they're so full of pride. Those are the people who end up leading lives that often lead to destruction. And so the writer of the article then says this, perhaps as these researchers are saying, pride really is dangerous and too few of us know how to be humble. Here's the New York Times upholding and affirming a clear biblical virtue and value, maybe not even knowing it. So those are the perils of pride. Uh, the quote here asks, if we know how to be humble, so let's consider that now. The honor of humility. How do we see the honor of humility in Proverbs? First of all, we're going to treat humility just like I treated pride. Definition of humility. What, what do we mean by humility? So first of all, what, what humility is not. Humility is not hating yourself. Humility is not thinking you have nothing to offer. Humility is not always denigrating yourself, always running yourself down. You know, sometimes the person who's always constantly talking about how awful they are, they give the, the appearance of being humble, but, you know, actually they might have as big of a pride problem as the person who's always talking about how great they are because the common element is that they're constantly obsessed with themselves. Running yourself down is not necessarily an example of humility. I, I've used this before, but I think this is um, a good distinction to keep in mind. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Not thinking you're awful. You're made in the image of God. Whether you're a Christian or not, there's great dignity in your created nature. If you're a Christian, you are a child of the king. You're a son or daughter of God. There's no reason to hate yourself. True humility is just being less consumed with yourself. So chapter 15, verse 33, which I read at the beginning, says this, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. So there's a connection being drawn here between the fear of the Lord and humility. That, that's really the essence of humility. It's having an attitude of reverence and awe before God, realizing that there is somebody else to whom you're responsible, that the world revolves not around you and your desires and your plans, but around the creator of the universe, the one from whom and through whom and to whom are all things. You exist for him, he doesn't exist for you. That's the fear of the Lord. And that's the beginning of developing a true, humble attitude. So what does humility then look like? According to the Proverbs, how, how, how do we see this displayed uh, in daily life? Well, first of all, it refuses to boast. The humble person is not always advancing all of his accomplishments and successes Proverbs 27.2 says this, let another praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. 
Don't feel like you have to get your reputation out there so that everybody knows. Look, if there is something worthy of affirmation in your life, people will notice it and they'll talk about it. Trust God to raise up those voices. The humble person doesn't feel the need to constantly defend himself and advance himself and put others down to make himself look good. Humility refuses to boast. Humility also receives instruction. So this is kind of the corollary of what we said about pride, rejecting counsel. That's um, the negative The positive of humility is that the humble person is willing to receive instruction. Chapter 15, 31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Do you listen when someone comes to you with a reproof, a rebuke, a challenge, a criticism? Or are your dukes up right away? You know, don't you just feel that way sometimes? Someone comes after you with a criticism, your heart just rises up and you're ready to fight But the humble person, when they're criticized or challenged, their first reaction is, you know what, you're probably right. Because actually, I'm wrong a lot. (laughs) And I'm not surprised at all that I could be wrong. So what do you have to say? What did I do wrong? I'm listening. I'm listening to life-giving reproof. That's the humble person. Man, if only we had more of that in our current climate of political discourse. If only we saw that on news television shows, right, when the various pundits are talking about an issue. It's almost totally absent. What else does humility look like? It relies on God's provision. It it trusts in God to provide what you need at the right time. It, it It doesn't seek to push itself forward to gain what it thinks it won't get otherwise. So here's what it says in Proverbs 16, 19. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. I think what the proverb is saying here is that it it is better to be a person of integrity, humility, righteousness, and godliness, even if that means you live in poverty, than to be the person who is prideful, arrogant, pushy, impossible to work with, advancing himself in order to get rich. We see people, they get the big houses, they're rich, they're wealthy, they have everything, and we think, well, they must have done something right. Well, not necessarily. Sometimes we see poor people and we think, well, they must have done something wrong. Well, not necessarily. There are people who have stuck to their integrity, their godliness, and their humility, and they have forfeited profit and advantage. But what the proverb says is that's better. Better to be humble with the poor than prideful with the rich. Three pictures of what humility looks like in the scriptures. Now, what does humility lead to? Pride leads to destruction. What does humility lead to? Honor. Eventually, humility leads to honor. Chapter 15, verse 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom. Humility comes before honor. Such a key phrase. Humility comes before honor. Here's the problem is that we want the honor, don't we? 
I mean, we, we all want to be noticed. We want to be affirmed. We want to be recognized. We want to be somebody. We want to be celebrated. We want attention. We want honor. But the problem is, is that we won't wait for that honor to come in God's time. And we feel like we have to grab for it. We don't feel like others are giving it to us at the right time. So we step forward and we boast about ourselves. We put down others to make ourselves look good. It's all in an effort to get honor. We want others to honor us, and if they're not going to do it, we're going to make them do it by telling them how they ought to honor us. But what the proverb says is, no, first of all, you've got to be humbled. Before the honor comes, humility has to come. Just like in the gospel, we see that suffering comes before glory. In the life of Jesus, we see that the cross comes before the crown. Jesus didn't come into this world and go right to heaven with a crown on. He had to live a life of humility before the crown was given, right? You look at the life of Jesus, and there is the perfect demonstration of humility. Comes from the throne room of heaven, the creator of the universe, and is born in a manger gathers around his disciples. What does he do? Say, disciples, please wash my feet now. I am the Lord of the universe. No, he gets on his knees and he washes their feet. Here's this Savior who says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Can you, I mean, think of that. The one who threw the stars into the sky and named each one. The one sovereign and all-powerful holding the universe together has come to serve people. What amazing humility. Jesus said very clearly, I am gentle and lowly in heart. He said, I'm humble. I come in humility. And that humility had to come before he received the crown. We see this so well here in Philippians 2. Being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself and went to die. He humbled himself and shed blood. And you know what came after? Honor. Therefore... Because of his humility, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And friend, if this Jesus is your Savior, you are clinging to him in faith. This same promise belongs to you. That you will have to be humbled, but God in his faithfulness will do it only to honor you on the last day. When you one day are raised up with your Savior. And when Jesus looks at you in the face and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Christian, the day is coming when you will be honored. And if you're not honored now, be patient. Be patient. It's coming. There's this book by a guy named Luke Ferry. It's called uh, A Brief History of Thought. This guy is a, a philosopher. Um, not a believer, and he's written this book as kind of an overview of all the major philosophical systems throughout history, and he includes a very long chapter on Christianity. 
And it's really astounding to see how well he gets the cross and he spends a lot of time talking about the cross. Guy's not even a believer and he describes Christianity like this. He says, it was through the humility. This is what he's getting, even as a non-Christian, about what the gospel is about. It was through the humility of this new God and his demanding humility of those who would follow him that he became the representative of the weak, the lowly, and the excluded. Hundreds of millions of people recognize themselves and still do today in the strange power of this very weakness. Does that describe you, friends? Do do you recognize yourself as one who clings to this Savior? Or perhaps you need to humble yourself today and bow your knee to this Savior. Hear the promise, it's very clear. He who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask, Father, that you would continue your sanctifying, gracious work of humbling us. Lord, it sometimes hurts. It's sometimes uncomfortable, but Lord, we need it. And we thank you, Jesus, that you humbled yourself for us and have promised the day is coming when we will be exalted and lifted up with you. Thank you for that. Help us to go out of this place humbly serving you and trusting you in all things. In Jesus' name.